right. So this week we have 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and that is resisting the world. So how do we resist the world? This is the first command that John gives us in his gospel or in his epistle. Uh, but first, let's do a little reminder of last time, because it's been two weeks now since we met. Uh, so what did we learn about our spiritual assets? We learned that we can be characterized in four different ways uh, towards Christ and towards God. Our first way is as little children, and this is the term used for newborns, someone who has no relation to their parent except for having been born. And this is really the foundation of our um, assets that if we are not born of Christ, uh, we can have uh, no childhood or fatherhood or, or adolescence in Christ. Uh, so our fact of having been born through Christ spiritually means that our sins have been forgiven uh, by his work on the cross, that through his blood, our sins are forgiven, and now we are as if born spiritually, uh, which is a one-time uh, one act, and it has eternal consequences. We can't become unborn. So after having been born, this is uh, technia in the Greek, we become paideia, which is children. And this term for children is used for a child who actually has some sort of relationship with his parent, even if it's so small as he recognizes who his parents are. A one-day-old child won't recognize his parent, but a one-year-old child will recognize who his parent is, even though he's still immature. So this is um, a Christian that's not necessarily immature, but has an intimacy and a dependency on God that is a lot like uh, a newborn child or a toddler child, rather. Um, as fathers, we know and imitate God by example, that what we receive from him, we also pass on. We share with those who are less mature or equally mature as us in Christ. Um, and in fact, we can even share with those who are more mature because God may have been teaching us different lessons that we're able to pass on. But in this way, we act as uh, parental figures in passing down wisdom, knowledge, and love, just like God does for us. We impart that knowledge to others. And as young men, we can be victorious and conquerors here in this life, that God has given us power to overcome the evil one through the Spirit. Uh, but this happens as we depend on God and depend on the Spirit, um, that he imparts this power to us and works through us. Uh, so in that way, we are young men who are valiant for Christ. So those are our spiritual assets. Those are things that uh, are ours by merit of being in Christ. But when we have fellowship, we continue in those spiritual assets to grow and to mature. So after John reminds us of the position we have in Christ, and remember those words were spoken to mature Christians, so those assets would have been grown to maturity to those he's speaking to. But now he's going to give us his first command. Now that we know who we are, we know what it means to walk in the light, we know uh, how we can resist uh, 
grieving the spirit that we can confess our sins to him and return to fellowship. Now he's going to give us a command. Uh, and this command we're not going to do by our own power, but by the power of the spirit in us as we depend on God and on the spirit and we walk in that light. So the command uh, is do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. So the command, we have two things we're not supposed to love, the world proper and then the things which exist in the world. Uh, but this is going to mean the things which uh, are related to the world in, in correlation with the spirit of this age. And then we get another conditional where if anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. Now that doesn't mean that the father does not love him, but rather the love that the father offers is not being exemplified just like in our spiritual assets where the love of, of the father comes to us and then we share it as the father shares it with us. And in that way we become fathers or imitators of his fatherhood. Um, so he is saying here that if we are loving the world, if we are focused on the world, we're not focused on God and the love that God shares with us. And so we are not imparting that love uh, that God has. Rather, we are mirroring the world, not mirroring or imitating God in his love. <clears throat> this word for world uh, takes on a bit uh, unique of a sense in John's, uh, in John's language, in John's lexicon. It's the Greek word cosmos, which is generally the, world, the word for world or people or even the universe. But John uses it in four distinct ways. He uses it almost always to mean the world, but it's either the system of the world, which is the most common use by John, especially in his epistles, or he uses it for creation. This is more common in his gospel. He uses it for people, but only in the context of Jesus Christ's love for the world, um, Jesus Christ's love for the people. So he will use it, for example, when he says that uh, Jesus Christ died for the world, uh, in an atoning sense, he'll use it for people. And he also uses it for the earth, uh, meaning the physical globe that we live on. But this is pretty rare. Um, it's only used five times, and it's only used in the Gospel of John. So when we come across this word, cosmos, in the epistles, our first go-to is going to be the world system. So it's not the nature of this world, the globe that we're supposed to resist. It's not the people that we're supposed to resist, but we should resist those people who are part of the world system. Um, just like we should resist anything that is part of and born from the world system. <clears throat> and this idea is consistent throughout the New Testament. John's not really telling us anything different here, but he's telling us in a very specific way and in relation to our spiritual health. Uh, so in Romans chapter 12, which comes after uh, Paul's uh, clarification of our position and our experience in Christ, now he's entering into the portion of Romans where he's, he's basically giving us the, and now what? Now that we know our position in Christ, now that we know our experience in Christ, how should we act in the world? 
In Romans 12, 2, he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And how can we know the will of God except by studying his word, understanding what he has revealed to us in scripture, and listening to the spirit, walking in the light, uh, because we have to be uh, scripturally minded, have the scriptures renewing our minds, so that when we are in conversation with the spirit through prayer, we can hear and understand what the spirit is telling us, uh, either revealing sin to us, concealing sin from us, directing us in the will of God. Uh, and so we, we want to avoid quenching the spirit or grieving the spirit by either leaving sin unconfessed or uh, by uh, resisting the will of God. And that happens here by not conforming to this world, because if we're conforming to this world, that means we are obeying the will of this world and this world system is run by Satan. So we are either conforming to the will of God or conforming to the will of the world and the spirit behind the world, uh, the world system, which is Satan. So we want to avoid conforming to the world, but rather have our minds and by extent, uh, our spirit and our will transformed by the renewing of our mind through meditation on scripture and through prayer. Uh, James also uh, has something similar to tell us. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 4, he writes, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, this is very similar to the language God uses towards Israel in their adulteries when they take on uh, gods from other cultures. In our culture, sometimes it can be pretty hard to recognize what are idols because they don't usually take the form of statues of creatures or people that we worship, but they take the form of things that occupy our mind, our time, our wills uh, that are not of God, such as things like uh, becoming rich and making a lot of money. If that becomes our focus rather than God, then we have replaced the love of God with the love of the world system, uh, the love of money. So God speaks about this through the, uh, through the apostle of James in order to tell us that this is a form of adultery, that we are married to God, that our friendship should be with God. So to abandon that friendship and that intimate relationship with him, to add in the things of this world and to make friendship or to make, um, to make this sort of relationship with the world is a form of adultery. In 1 John 5, 19, a little later in our epistle, we read, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So this will be at the end of John discussing with us intimate fellowship with God. So it, when we come to the end and we know that we are in fellowship with God, the opposition to that state of being together with God um, is to lie in the power of the evil one being part of the world because we are supposed to be 
heavenly minded, experiencing our position with Christ in heaven, even though we are here on earth. Uh, we ought to live as if we are actually experiencing, uh, because he has given us that ability to experience heaven here on earth, not through pleasures of the earth, but rather intimate fellowship with him, uh, even though we exist here in this evil age. Now, it's important to clarify what this does not mean as well. Uh, to resist the world does not mean to so remove ourselves from the world that we despise the people that God loves and wants us to love so that we can minister to them and draw them to Christ. So we want to look and see that Jesus Christ didn't love the things of this world, but he did love this world. And so we ought to love this world in order to save it, but not in order to be conformed to it. So we can read in John 3, 16, uh, John, uh, sorry, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, uh, the Pharisee. He writes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. So these men who are following after the darkness, walking as if blind in this world system, the light is still being offered to them and we reflect that light of Christ so that we ought to be walking in this world, loving the people with the love of God, but not the selfish love uh, which we um, imitate or mimic in ourselves. We want to be loving them with the love that God has given to us um, and passing that along to them in order that they might be saved from this world, just as we have been. So finally, Jesus concludes, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So remember, when we are aware of our sins because the Holy Spirit has shed that light through either the convicting word that we read and meditate on, or even uh, entering into our conscience, consciousness, conscience, yeah, and, uh, and exposing a sin to us that it convicts us to confess to Christ. If we are hiding that, if we are concealing that from God, he already knows about it. His light is already shining on it. The only way that we can become comfortable with this sin without confessing it to God and walking away from this sin is to turn off the light. And that is called quenching the spirit, that when he's convicting us of a sin, we turn away from him rather than turning away from the sin. So here, Jesus is saying that is the system of the world. They don't like their sins, their evil deeds being exposed, so they hide the light. So we don't want to walk like that, but we recognize that the world around us is doing that. So we want to uh, share the light with them so that they might become convicted through the Holy Spirit. We want to be tools of the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of these people who are hidden in darkness. 
So the last verse here from uh, the Gospel of John, but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. God is the one acting through us when we are acting in accordance with the light. <clears throat> so uh, now John is going to clarify to us what exactly is this world system? What is it that is in the world that is not good for us to be conforming to? So in verse 16, he writes, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So this has to do with three important uh, verbs which are recognized in most languages. Um, in English, they are to do, to have, and to be. Each of these three uh, have to do with the sins which this world uh, puts especially before us, these temptations. To do is usually some sort of a lust of the flesh, something we want um, to do in our flesh uh, that would be contrary to the will of God. Something we can have, uh, this is the lust of the eyes, something we look at and we want, um, and we want more than we want God, or we want for purposes that are not in God's will. And finally, something we want to be, this is the boastful pride of life, something we want to become, something we want to identify with. And each of these satisfy or gratify us on a different level. But these are all gratifications which should be filled by the Spirit, that should be filled by God in us. But rather, we choose to fill them with the world. So things we choose to do, things we want to do, perhaps it's uh, even something like sexual activity that is uh, not within God's will, but rather we choose something in our own will. This gratifies our bodies in a way that only God should be uh, gratifying our bodies uh, through, uh, through his will for us in marriage. Uh, also, something we should have which fulfills us on a soul level, something we want to have. Maybe we become collectors of things, and we just want to have more and more things or electronics or material uh, items. And this gratifies us not in our physical bodies, but in our satisfaction, in our soul level. But something that we can call ourselves, uh, the boastful pride of life, I can say, uh, I am famous, or I am uh, such and such. I am an influencer of people. This satisfies us not just on a soul level, but on a spiritual level, where we try to become our own gods, where we are needing something to worship, but rather than turning to God in worship, we turn to ourselves in worship. Uh, this gratifies us on a spirit level, but none of these gratifications are uh, fully satisfying. We will always be left wanting more and needing more because they can't fill us but God can fill us. So we ought to turn to God who is permanent and ever existing rather than turning to the world system, which is passing away. If we turn to Genesis 3, 6, we see that this is exactly the temptation that Satan put in front of Eve in the Garden of Eden. We read, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate. 
and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. So the tree she saw, despite God's word saying that it wasn't good, she looked at the tree and saw that it was good for food. It was something that could gratify her body. She also saw that it was delightful to the eye. It was something she coveted. It's something that she wanted, despite that God said, don't take it. She saw it and determined this is something that I want to have. And then finally, she saw that it was desirable to make one wise. Satan had deceived her and told her that if you eat this fruit, you will become like God. She saw that as wisdom. So she wanted to make herself wise. She wanted to be wise. And in so doing, she made herself a fool uh, and a sinner to the core. Uh, but these were still the three temptations that were put in front of her. The the uh, the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, and the sinful pride of life. She wanted to do something, to have something, and to be something that God had not uh, offered for her to be. <clears throat> and Paul has very similar sentiments in Romans 13, verses 12 through 14, when he writes, The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly in this day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh in regard to its lust. So here he's talking primarily about the sin of the flesh or the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And he's telling us to resist it. But instead, rather than just emptying ourselves of these uh, gratifications of these lusts, to be gratified instead through the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we do this? We have intimate fellowship with him. John has given us the first two and a half or one and a half chapters of this book in order to tell us what we should be fulfilling ourselves with, with this intimate fellowship with God. Even if we are able to put off the lusts of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, we need something to fill ourselves with that is filling. So we can't ignore the first chapter and a half of 1 John and jump directly here to John 1, 15 and 16, because uh, it's like one of my uh, one of my people likes to say, "What good is it to convince a drunk man to become sober? All you're doing is sending a sober man to hell. Instead, uh, convince this man of Jesus Christ, and whether or not you're sending a sober man or a drunk man, you're sending him to heaven." Uh, that's kind of a paraphrase of what he says, but essentially, we need to know what to fill ourselves with. We can't just be emptying ourselves of this world because we're not going to be able to resist this world through our own power. So we need to be in fellowship with God so that there is something to come into us and fill us as we empty ourselves of this world, or rather as this world is emptied of us. <clears throat> in First Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter again tells us, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, 
so as if we have nothing to do with this world, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior, behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So that not only are we abstaining from these sins for our own uh, health, for our own spiritual health in Christ, but we recognize that we are witnesses to Christ here on this earth. We are aliens and strangers. We are sojourners on this earth. That once we have our eternal destiny sealed in Christ, the only purpose for us left on this earth is to live together with Christ as if we are already in the heavenlies with him. But why are we still in this evil world? We can think about it in that way of we have so much spiritual health and maturity to gain, but wouldn't it be easier for God to take us home right now? Uh, we would be instantly like him because when we see him, we will be like him but rather we are left in this world, and for what purpose? Because the world has not known the light, and we are here to reflect that light. So if we are not acting in spiritual maturity with Jesus Christ, then we're not fulfilling our purpose here on earth, which is to reflect him to the world. In Matthew 28, we read that uh, our duty is to uh, evangelize the whole world, that we are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ during the dispensation of grace, that we should be sharing who Jesus Christ is. And we can't do that if we don't know who Jesus Christ is. We ought to be in intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ, abstaining from these worldly lusts by gratifying ourselves in, in the love of Jesus Christ. As we become more filled with him, there will be less room for the world. And in 2 Timothy 2.22, uh, we again read how we are able to uh, avoid these lusts of the flesh and lust of the eye. It says, now flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So we're given this verb to flee, this command from Paul. Uh, to flee is to run away from. And he gives us not only the thing that we run away from, but the thing we're supposed to be running towards. So we run away from youthful lusts. That word for youthful could mean immature. So when we are immature children, we have certain lusts that if we do not learn how to trust God or to gratify ourselves through God, those youthful lusts only grow and fester in our bodies, that we should mature beyond them, but instead they become so large in our lives that we identify ourselves with those youthful lusts. Instead, we should flee from them and run towards righteousness, towards faith, towards love, and towards peace. And he says, whoever has a pure heart, that is the one who runs towards these and calls on the Lord, uh, not trying to seek these on his own, but rather having the Lord uh, show him righteousness, faith, love, and peace, because those are... Uh, those are fruits of the Spirit that we can't bear without the Spirit bearing them through us. <clears throat> In his previous letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 6, verse 11, he has the same thing to say. 
He says, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So he's given us even more fruits of the Spirit. And remember, we don't produce the fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit produces them in us. These are not the fruits of, of men who uh, love God, of men who abide in God, of men who uh, act faithfully towards God. These are the fruits of the Spirit, that when we abide, the Spirit produces these. And he doesn't produce one or two of these. He will produce all of them together. Uh, these all together are the fruits of the Spirit, but they only are able to be produced in us when we are not living in the world, but instead living in Christ. So the Christian has a threefold enemy, and one of those enemies is discussed in three details here in the Gospel of John. John discusses the world, but there's also the flesh and the devil. Uh, John here, again, is concerned with the world, and the remedy for living in this world is to flee from the lusts and the pride of this life. So we have to remember this word, to flee, to run from, but when we run from the world, we run to God. We run to Jesus. We run to the Holy Spirit through his word and through prayer and through an intimate fellowship with him. Uh, we also ought to resist the flesh. The verb that Paul gives us for avoiding the sins of the flesh is to deny the flesh. But just denying the gratification of the flesh uh, doesn't mean that we have been filled with anything good. We ought also to deny the flesh and take on uh, the uh, take on uh, the Lord. We have to also resist the devil and then he will flee from us. Uh, all of these words towards the world, the flesh and the devil are negatives. They're not things we have to do, but things we have to stop doing. We have to stop running after the world. Instead, we should flee. We have to stop gratifying the flesh. Instead, we should deny it. We have to stop embracing the devil. Rather, we should resist him and instead run towards these fruits of the spirit, run towards gratification through the Holy Spirit by abiding in him. So we flee, we deny, and we resist this world system. All right, our last verse is 1 John 2, 17. And that reads, the world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So John has just finished telling us to flee this world fleeing the lusts and fleeing the pride of this world. And he gives us here a very good reason. The world is passing away. And if we are part of this world system, we are hooking our, uh, hooking our tether to a sinking ship. We don't want to have ourselves gratified by temporal fleeting pleasures, but rather the eternal pleasures of God. Now it says the one who does the will of God lives forever. This does not have its opposite as an equal. And that means if we make this a negative, it doesn't change the result. The one who does not do the will of God dies forever. That is not what this verse is saying. And we have to resist that interpretation. This is giving the absolute uh, truth of the one who is doing the will of God. He does the will of God because he is saved by God and he lives forever. 
but there is the opportunity for the one who does not do the will of God, but is still saved by God. That person is not in the context of this verse. He will still be saved, but he will be saved as though through fire. He has attached his, his tether to the sinking world, and that world will be cut away from him, but he will live forever. What this instead is saying is live today in our position with Christ because we will live forever. So why would we attach our passions and our loves and our life and our identity to the world that's passing away? We have to live in our identity, which is sealed forever in Christ. So that this is not telling us that uh, the, the Christian who fails to do the will of God is going to perish forever. He is saying, we are going to live forever. So live like it, rather than living as if we are part of this world that is passing away. So there are two destinies involved in this. The destiny of the world system to pass away. The world is passing away and its lusts are passing away. Remember in, the, in uh, verse 15, we saw that there are two things we're supposed to resist, two things that we should not be loving. We see in verse 17 that those things are passing away. Those things are dying. Those things are doomed for destruction. We don't want to love that which is doomed for destruction. We are attaching our love to something that is dying. Instead, we should attach our loves to a heavenly system over against the world system. He says, the one who does the will of God lives forever. We ought to love this heavenly system, loving God and loving our eternal life in God. In 2 Peter 3.10, we read, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. We do not want our works to be burned up by attaching them to this earth, but rather we should be doing the works of the Spirit through the Spirit uh, by abiding in him so that our works are not burned up. In 2 Peter 3.10, we read, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is our position. This can also be our experience, even though we are not living in that new earth and new heavens. But it is so sure and so final in the word of God that we can take this as our current position, that we are positioned with Christ in the heavenlies. Uh, we ought to live uh, to reflect that truth. In the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 10, we read, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We ought to have our intimate fellowship with God and with the with God the Father and with Jesus Christ, because we are kept in the double grip. They have guaranteed our eternal salvation through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, and they have 
offered us to live today as if we are experiencing already our eternal life. So in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, which is for next week, uh, we read in the context immediately following verse 17, uh, John tells us, children, it is the last hour. So the earth has already been told to us, it will pass away, it is fleeing away, uh, not to attach our love to this earth. And now John is going to tell us, this is the last hour, this is the very end, this earth is passing away. So we have this sense of urgency, that as this earth is fleeing away, we shouldn't be running with it. Uh, the ship is sinking, don't tie your tether to it, flee from the ship. We can think of the Titanic as it was going down, people wanted to get into the lifeboats. They didn't want to hang around the ship. So why do we as Christians, being securely fastened to not just our lifeboats, but to a brand new ship that is guaranteeing us freedom and safety, why would we return to the sinking ship? We ought to flee. It's the last hour this earth is passing away. So we have two juxtaposed ideas in chapter 2, verses 15 and 17, we have the love of the world and we have the love of the Father. The love of the world comes from the world. The love of the Father comes from the Father, naturally. But what is the result of that? The love and all of the things of this world, they're passing away. But the love of the Father and the things of the Father, they remain forever. That is our position, remaining forever in love with the Lord, so we should live today. We are not denying ourselves anything when we deny the world, but we are instead gratifying ourselves with a gratification that is eternal. So in conclusion, there are two warring systems in the heart of every believer, the old man and the new man, but the old man is destined for the grave. The new man is destined for eternity. We ought to live in concordance with this new man. We are encouraged to put on the new man, to put on the reality, the position, uh, the eternal experience of this new man, even today on this earth, despite the fact that the earth is passing away. We should live in our eternal position. The world system is quickly fading away. So whatever we build for ourselves here, we're building it for destruction. We should be much more focused on our eternal destiny than on our present uh, situation in this world. Remember, this world belongs to Satan. It belongs to the evil one. We know that the whole world rests in the power of the evil one. So why would we spend our entire lives building up treasures on this earth when we could be building them up for eternity? So we should resist this world and seek eternity with the Father. A final quote by Tom Constable here. Love for the world indicates lack of love for God. We are unfilled by God when we are seeking to fill ourselves by the world. It results in consequences that are not what our loving Father desires for our welfare. It lasts only a short time. It precludes intimate fellowship with God. When we are fellowshipping with the world, we are out of fellowship with God. So we need to maintain that intimate fellowship with God and be completely satisfied through him. And how do we do that? We rest in him. Uh, so that is our three verses for this morning.
Thank you so much. Uh, I have a, I have a question, Dane, about uh, uh, about the what you said uh, last hour. Is that last hour and end times is the same concept? What what that means? It's the concept of the last age. Uh, this dispensation of grace is the last age um, before the destruction of this world. So it's the last hour because Christ is coming back. Christ is going to destroy the system of this world and set up his own kingdom on this earth. We can look at uh, Daniel chapter 7 towards the end of the chapter where we see Jesus Christ returning and destroying the kingdom of the Antichrist, which is the culmination of this world system where it becomes consolidated to one single head who will put himself in the temple of God and say that he is God. That's the ultimate uh, the ultimate conclusion of this world. So he's saying it's the last hour because this is the final age before that is taking place. So even though we've looked at 2000 years of history since John wrote these words, it's still that final hour because he's looking at the whole church age as an hour, just as if uh, each age were depicted as an hour. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah, no problem. You know, it can be confusing uh, going through and seeing their different uh, ways of talking about periods of time. Um, it's not altogether figurative, but it's a figure of speech. Just like Daniel's 70 weeks, uh, those each uh, week indicates a year. So it's seven sevens and seven sets of seven years yeah. or 70 sets of seven years. It's kind of the same idea, but in a less mathematical uh, a way here, where the hour is indicating the age. Okay. okay, thank you. Yeah, no problem. All right, any more questions before we close? Um, no, maybe next time. <laughs> okay, no problem. Yeah, next time I'll give you some heads up so everyone knows what it was. Okay. All right, all right, so let's pray and uh, you can get to bed. <laughs> Yeah, All right. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fellowship that you've offered us both with yourself and with the body of Christ uh, here in this earth that despite the fact we live among an evil world system, we are able to live in our position in heaven uh, already as Christians. We hear the, the sentiment of the world saying that we become too heavenly minded to be any earthly good, but uh, we want to convince ourselves of your word that says we ought to be heavenly minded or else we lose this world and the next. Uh, so Lord, we want to live in the heavenlies together with you so that we can be some earthly good to you uh, because our only purpose on this earth is to glorify you and to serve you. And in that way, we are completely gratified. So Lord, we pray uh, that you minister to us through the spirit, uh, that you convict us of our sin, and that we are uh, faithful to confess that sin to you so that we can stay in intimate fellowship. Lord, we pray that you direct us in your will, uh, convicting us through the Holy Spirit again, that, that we not grieve the Spirit and turn away from your will and towards the will of this world, but that instead we turn towards you and seek your will, uh, that we don't gratify ourselves through the lusts and the pride of this life, but rather through seeking after you. And Lord, finally, we pray that you keep us in the spirit, that you keep us walking and abiding in you. Uh, Lord, we pray all these things 
for your glory and in your name. Amen.